Welcome to the Taiwanese Diaspora Podcast, where we use personal storytelling to connect people of Taiwanese heritage from all around the world. I am Cynthia, and I'm excited to use this podcast platform as a way to explore what it means to be Taiwanese X. This is episode 42. So a few years ago, Ling and I realized that we went to college together but didn't know each other at the time. We caught up last fall, around September 2020, while she was in quarantine in Taiwan uh, because of the pandemic. And she had quit her job after a long, long stint at Pixar, moved back to Taiwan, and is exploring what she's going to do next. So Ling got to work on Soul, the latest Pixar movie that came out in December of 2020. And I think the topic of our conversation today is so, so relevant to the storyline, you know, about soul searching and about finding what brings you joy in life. And so hopefully you guys get a chance to watch that. 大家好，欢迎收听台湾人网络广播，我是阿秀，用这个平台来跟华侨华裔的台湾人聊他们的生活过程和未来的梦想。这是第四十二集。虽然我跟林是读同样的大学，我们那时候不认识，我们是前几年
lived in California for the last 11 years. Um, I worked at Pixar for the entire time I was in California, and I left my job in March, and uh, I'm planning on going back to school in a week <laughs> at UW, University of Washington, to study computational linguistics, just do a one-year master's. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's amazing. Okay, so what made you go to Taiwan? It wasn't like a complete spur-of-the-moment decision, but it was just this thing that, you know, I... I had left my job, coincidentally, literally a week before quarantine started in in California. And so like, it was like this perfect timing of like everybody else. It was like this big pause and disruption in their life. And for me, I was just like, I literally just planned to like, not do anything in that moment. So it was actually really great. I, I had some time to kind of decompress from, you know, you like, you're working at a place for such a long time. It really is like leaving a piece of your heart behind, I guess you could say. Yeah, so I, I just decompressed for a while and then I knew I was going back to school. And I basically was contemplating if I wanted to move all the way up to Seattle just to stay in my room and do all my classes. Like if that's the case, why not just you know, stay in California, but I was, I guess, really looking for a change. And I think, I mean, I'm sure everybody in America is feeling this right now, but it's kind of like just the, <laughs> the like desire to have a normal life again, where you can like, you know, go out and do things. And, you know, you, you kind of like, when you're in quarantine for such a long time, you start to forget what normal things feel like. And And I haven't really been out in Taiwan yet. So I, I'm still very much in that mindset, but, but yeah, I think I just wanted to kind of be somewhere else. <laughs> and I think that given that I had a Taiwanese passport, it kind of made sense to, to come here as opposed to somewhere else. And I mean, I have a lot of family here as well. And I think because I was going back to school for linguistic sort of stuff, I've been really kind of cultivating my love of languages lately and I think it was a good opportunity to kind of just practice my Chinese and things like that so yeah <laughs> that's so cool sorry that was a really long-winded answer no I love it I love it detail is good because people can only <laughs> hear <laughs> what was it like to decide that you were going to leave a place after so many years it was probably like a family right at Pixar yeah definitely um, it was hard. I mean, I honestly had been thinking about this for, I don't know, like five years or something like that. And it's kind of one of those things where I think, how do I say, it's just, you know, you're at a place and you love it, but there's a part of you that feels like it's not quite who you are. You know what I mean? And even though like I really enjoyed doing what I was doing every day. And I had some really kind of amazing moments. I think part of me just felt like if I came to the end of my life and I was like looking back at my life, I think there were just other things that I was also interested in doing. And so I think it took a long time to come to terms with that. It really is like leaving a long-term relationship where you're like, is this really what I want for the rest of my life? But at the same time, you know, 
you don't want to because it, it it's comfortable and there's so much good stuff about it. I think last year, this is going to sound so like cliched, but so basically the previous year I had just finished up working on Toy Story 4 and I got to be a lead on that show. And so that was like really, really fun because I got to interact with, you know, like I had a whole team to, of people working for me that I really loved and cared about. And I got to do a lot more than I normally did in just like an individual career role. And so like I had just finished that up and it was awesome and I had an amazing time doing it. But then when it was over, I was kind of like, well, what do I, what do I do? Do I just like do this again? Am I just like, where is this going? And so it sounds so cliche, but like I had gone to Burning Man and it's not because of Burning Man, but it was just like, you know, you had some time that you're kind of just thinking to yourself, about you know what you're doing with your life and I think at that point I had come back and I had actually applied to be a lead on one of the upcoming projects and when I got back I was like you know I think my heart's not in it so I kind of took that back and once I took that back I knew that that was it and I I at that point I decided that I wanted to leave and so it was another few more months before I actually did it but um but they did. And I haven't really thought about it again since then. So there have been no regrets. So I feel like it was the right decision for sure. But like, yeah, definitely like the first month afterwards, I was just like watching a lot of TV and crying because I was like, it was like shedding the emotions of an entire, you know, life that you lived. So yeah. Yeah. What What did you do at Pixar? Um, I was a set shading artist. Um, at least in the kind of latter years. When I first started, I was a global tech technical director, which is kind of pipeline work for productions. And so it kind of like, because I went to MIT, you know, I had more of a technical background and less of an artistic background. And so that was kind of like the gateway in. And so, you know, in the beginning, I was doing a lot more kind of programming stuff. And then as time went on, I don't know. I changed a bunch of dif different departments. Like I worked in characters. I worked in sets. I worked in the 3D department for many years. Uh, I was working in rendering. And then, let's see, I did a brief stint in crowds. During Inside Out, actually, I came back to work in sets. And I was pretty much there ever since. And so the last few years, so I worked in shading on like Finding Dory, Cars 3, Toy Story 4. And I was also in characters on Soul, which will be coming out soon. Uh, yeah, so shading is basically 3D textures and materials on all the 3D models and stuff like that. It involves a lot of half pretty technical, not quite programming, but like node network programming-ish kind of stuff. And then some amount of paint work and more uh, artistic components, I guess. It, it felt like it really suited me. I really enjoyed that discipline, so... Yeah, it's good. Did you know when you were in college that you wanted to work in animation? No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, I was actually a bio major when I was an undergrad. I had started as a bio major. And when I got to MIT, I was sort of like, I remember very specifically, it was maybe the first semester or second semester. And I was talking to you know somebody who was in my dorm. And he was talking about, I think, 
must have been 6001, the like, you know, intro CS course. And I remember him talking about it. And I was kind of like, yeah, that sounds like vaguely <laughs> interesting. It sounds like something that I should know or could be cool to know. And so I kind of took it as like a, you know, bio is my main major and I'll maybe do this like CS thing on the side. And then it just kind of like ended up being a thing. So then I, I ended up doing a double major and I think that really kind of worked out, I guess, because I didn't end up doing the bio thing at all after that. Uh, when I was graduating, basically, was when I think Pixar had come and done an info session at, at MIT. And so I was like, oh, I didn't know that this is like a thing that people did for a living. So I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool. And so at that point, I was staying for an MNG. And so at, at that point, I kind of like hunkered down and did more intense computer graphics stuff at that point. So, yep. So cool. I love Pixar. <laughs> we have one other mutual friend who works at Pixar. It was really neat. I got to go watch Finding Dory at the theaters or at your, um, I don't know what you guys call it, but at the Pixar theater. Yeah, the main theater. Yeah. Oh, it's actually called the Steve Jobs Theater now. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Career stuff is so interesting because it, I think I spent a lot of time thinking about it after MIT and kind of yeah. hopped around a bit. It's neat that you were able to stay in one place and love it so much that you were able to grow with that one company. Yeah. It's interesting because like people always expect, you know, that everybody else understands what their career is, but it's like, most people don't understand what their careers is or where they're going or any of that stuff. And I remember I was talking to a career counselor at one point and I was just kind of like, I just don't know if like I am the type of person who just like has one thing that I just want to go to the end with. And she was like, yeah, some people just have careers that are just random, interesting things. And I was like, I think that's what I would like to do. So <laughs> I don't know. I think I just realized that I value varied and interesting experiences so and Pixar definitely offered that in many ways and so I think that that kind of really kept me there for such a long time but at the same time like I think I was just ready to do something else because I spent a lot of time thinking about other stuff like language for instance which is why I'm doing all this stuff now so yes how did you get into linguistics did you take linguistics at school no, I didn't. And actually, was like, people always ask me, like, oh, did you take any classes? And like, no, no, I'm Chomsky. Yeah. I was like, I didn't. I just, like, I didn't know any of, you know, that I would be interested in any of this stuff. But I think for me, it probably started when I was a junior. And so I actually did the MIT MISTI program, which is the, like, International Science and Tech Initiative, I think is what it stands for. Yeah, basically internships abroad. Where did you go? Yeah, I went to Germany. Nice. And it was awesome. <laughs> I was in Spain and Singapore. <laughs> MISTI is definitely still the like the one program at MIT that I still donate to because I, I just really support that as a experience for students, I think. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, I went to Germany and it was during the summer uh, 2006 when they were having the World Cup there. So it was like so crazy and so amazing. But yeah, so in order to go there, I mean, I didn't have to, but I really wanted to learn German. And up until that point, like I had studied Spanish when I was in high school, but like I didn't really 
you know, I don't know. I feel like when you learn things in high school, you don't have any concept of what the outside usage of what you are learning is, right? And so I think that Spanish in that way didn't ingrain itself in my brain. But um, but like going there and hearing how people use the language kind of in in real life was just so interesting. And so kind of ever since then, I became sort of very intrigued with learning different languages. So like I, I had studied a little bit of French and a little bit of Russian, and a tiny bit of Japanese. Um, and then, but like German was still my main language that I, I was studying. Um, and then now I'm studying Korean, which is super, super interesting. After that experience, I basically just fell in love with language learning. And I think that kind of the most interesting part about it is when you discover all those kind of little nuances about a language. And then, you know, when you're hearing other people talk and before you learn the language, it's just kind of this like beautiful gibberish that they're, <laughs> you know, it's like this very melodic beautiful sound that you don't understand at all and then just kind of one day you realize that like you hear words and you can like parse a sentence or like if you can read an, a different alphabet or something like that it's just like it's kind of a really cool interesting reflection on like how the brain works and stuff like that so I don't know I just I really love it and so I think I basically felt like I was thinking about that stuff a lot um, in my spare time and wanted to have more time into it. What was your methodology for learning the languages? Um, uh, I think, so I'm like a pretty big grammar nerd. So I really like learning grammar. And then I think the main thing is just immersion in media in that language, as well as conversing with people of that language as well. Like I really like, uh, right now I'm learning Korean and there's, um, there are so many resources, for instance, but there are also just these communities that you can use to practice. And so like, I'm on a Discord server of people who are learning Korean and you can ask questions and stuff. And then there's this like, there are some pretty cool apps. There's HelloTalk and Tandem. And I haven't used Tandem at all yet, but HelloTalk is just like, you know, people wanting to learn a different language. And so you can either find friends to chat with, which I haven't, I have, like two friends on there but like you can also post these things called moments it's it's kind of a social network in a way and so you try to like post things in a different language and then people will correct you and so you can kind of see you know what you're doing wrong and how natives would use the language etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah I, mean, I think the main thing is just like we always learn best from our mistakes and so it's just like doing as many things as you can to make as many mistakes as you can so that you can learn from them. That's really cool. Languages have fascinated me for a while, but I, I'm not good at languages. Or actually, that's not necessarily <laughs> true. I don't think I've spent a lot of time because I always think you have to like learn it formally, like learn the grammar first, as opposed to just learning enough to get by. Um, like yeah. when I was living in Spain, I didn't know any Spanish. I was just like, I'm going to go learn by immersion. And then I was like, oh, this is really hard. And so I was like... <laughs> basically learn from doing things that I enjoyed and like out of necessity. Yeah. But I still don't know like proper grammar and have like very pidgin yeah. Spanish. Yeah. I think that like, I think it, 
it's kind of like you have to seed it in bits, right? Like, so I find it's most effective, at least for me. Like, I know other people learn in different ways. But like, for me, it's like, I will learn one small tidbit of something and then kind of see it, like practice noticing it in the real world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like, basically, I, I mean, this goes with anything in life, like anything that you're learning in life. It's like, you can't expect to get all of it all at once right so if you just like okay there's like one grammar structure or something uh that I'm gonna learn like how to say I have to do something you know and then just like whatever you're consuming at that time just like notice it everywhere it becomes more and more sort of part of your soul in a way like (laughs) Like, I feel like in order to get uh, to a point in speaking a language where you are not translating every sentence, you have to sort of sit and like, let it be part of you, if that makes any sense. It's sort of like when you're doing meditation and you try to get to a point where you're not like talking, you know what I mean? Like making things averbal in a way. And so you kind of have to go through that way of like going from one language to no language to the other language so that you're not doing it like breaks the middle translation portion of it so that you can think better in the foreign language yeah (laughs) do you know what I noticed I don't know if you do this because you know so many languages now that I was traveling in Italy after grad school and and for some reason I knew like okay I can't speak English I can't speak Chinese but then I defaulted to Spanish even though I was like trying to learn enough Italian to do what I needed to do during that month that I was there. But in my mind, it was like, oh, it's like similar. But there's like, oh, this other language I don't know very well. And like out would come Spanish. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Like for at least a few months, I mean, I haven't been studying Korean that long. I've been studying it since basically April. But like in the very first month, at least, it's like every time (laughs) something wrong, I would curse in German. So yeah, it definitely like, and I, I hear this all the time from people. It's like, especially the languages that are very similar. Like I think when I was learning Russian, I would, con- I would like, yeah, maybe Spanish or something would come back, which was really random. Yeah. I feel like your brain just goes into a like not English mode and whatever. It's like, it's like grabbing in a bag of random jumbled words that are not English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah fascinating so what tell us more about linguistics like what what is linguistics ah well linguistics is the study of language in i suppose more general sense than just a specific language although i guess specific languages are part of it too but um it's a very broad field right so you can have linguistics that is like the breaking down of you know different languages and their and their grammar structures and the phonemes or the way that words and sounds are put together and there's also linguistics like historical linguistics that deals with kind of how all these different languages um, branched overlapped where all of the kind of you know why why certain languages share um share certain words and how those words morphed over time, et cetera, you know, etymology of a word. And the 
program that I'm going into is computational linguistics. And so that covers a lot of like uh, natural language processing. It includes pretty much anything that has to do with language that we use in our technology now. So there's like speech to text, predictive text, whenever you're typing like now Gmail, you know, you like start typing a thing and it completes the whole sentence for you. Um, I'm particularly interested in machine translation. Um, so everything that like Google Translate or similar apps do. And Google Translate also has like gotten really good for certain languages, like very common languages, like English to German is actually pretty decent at this point. Um, but there are other languages that are like highly contextual languages. And so those are like Chinese, a lot of the Asian languages, like Chinese, Japanese, Korean are considered highly contextual languages. And so that means that basically you, you can be given a sentence and it can be very difficult to translate if you don't have the context of the, the situation, the social interactions of the people involved, um, you know, what came before that, what came out, what comes after that, et cetera. Um, and so those languages are particularly bad at machine translation. So I think it's pretty interesting. There's also, because machine translation, a lot of it right now is using uh, machine learning. And so you have to have a lot of source data to be able to see that sort of neural network processing, et cetera. And so um, there are a lot of languages that basically don't have enough source data. So there's like, you know, just languages that are used by only a very small percentage of people. And so those get like pretty underrepresented and it can probably have additional repercussions in terms of just like, you know, social repercussions of the, the economy of that place, for instance, could be a, a thing. It sort of reminds me about how there's like some study about uh, children and how children, if I believe it's something like third grade, if they don't know how to read well by third grade, then um, past that, the gap in their knowledge with their peers gets bigger and bigger because at some point their peers start to read for the content of the book or whatever, instead of for the sake of reading in and of itself. And so, it kind of reminds me of that in a sense where it's like, you know, if there's all this technology revolved around, um, you know, being able to help people from different cultures communicate, and then some cultures are left out, then kind of those gaps are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So I don't know, it's a, there's a lot, <laughs> there are a lot of different things, I guess, um, in the field of linguistics. So pretty interesting. That's really fascinating. And I mean, there's so much that I don't know at this point as well. So um, I'll be very interested to get into it. Yeah. What do you think you want to do with it after you finish the master's program? I'm, I think that like when I wanted to go into it, um, I was pretty interested in machine translation, but uh, like I'm open to you know, seeing what other interesting things there might be that I don't even know about yet. So we'll see. Do you ever think about languages like Taiwanese or Hakka now that you're in Taiwan for a little bit? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
I don't know either and I'm so it's so like shameful because my my dad's side of the family is also Hakka so they like they speak it but I don't know either of those languages because my parents never spoke Taiwanese at home because my dad always spoke Hakka with his or yeah with his family and my mom would speak Taiwanese with our side of the family and so everybody just speaks in Mandarin to each other that's very similar to my parents as well yeah <laughs> uh it's a shame it's so hard too because Taiwanese is really very different sounding from Mandarin yeah <laughs> so it's like uh it's okay <laughs> I have a separate project that I want to talk to you about later um because my mom is Hakka and they're they're trying to get younger generations interested I mean it's probably too late for us uh-huh. to learn the language in a proper way but because my question would be around for languages that are much more spoken as opposed to written I mean, even in like the Asian languages, right? Like, I guess maybe Korean's different, but Chinese, like, you can't really read it unless you just know the character. I mean, you can know Bopomofa, but yeah, as an adult, most most things don't have the Bopomofa next to it or yeah. the next to it, right? It's not like an alph- alphabetical type of language, and so a lot of these are learned basically by passing down like oral history or. Do you ever think about how how to either preserve or teach those languages in a way that's using things that are familiar to us now? That's a good question. Not that I expect you to have an answer. It's just something I'm thinking <laughs> about. Like, how could I learn Hakka and Thai more quickly, <laughs> if at all? I mean... To get a full picture of it, I'm not sure, um, but I think at this point, this is, I'm totally making this up on the spot, by the way, I have no idea, but I think that there are, like, people out there, you know, doing this sort of stuff of teaching these, you know, dialects and things like that, and so given how much everything um everybody's using technology nowadays it's like i'm sure that there are recordings of people speaking in all of these etc i yeah so i think that like there is probably data out there i don't know if it's enough to get like a full picture of the language but um (sighs) it's a good question i'm sure that there's like if there were a demand for it somehow if some somebody funded some sort of project to do this I don't know I just feel like there's there's so much going on that there's probably something like this out there that's happening right now at this moment so I don't know I don't know it's a good question okay so now you are in a quarantine hotel what is it and what is it like do you get food delivered are you allowed to go outside you are not allowed to go outside. <laughs> uh, yes, I am getting food delivered three times a day, which is pretty awesome. So basically, so the quarantine hotel is a hotel that the government, so the Taiwanese government has kind of put aside maybe, I think it was something like 30 to 40 hotels as like quote unquote quarantine hotels. And so they are basically hotels that have been designated. They will abide by these like, you know, quarantine rules and things like that, disinfecting, you know. So basically when I showed up at the hotel, I entered 
through the side door and then they sprayed me down with all this disinfectant. And then the uh, woman who was helping me took my luggage into the elevator for me. And then I had to put on these kind of plastic, they're basically like shower caps for your, like like shower cap boots, basically. Uh, so just like foot covers. And I had to walk up the side stairwell actually which was separate from the the main area and I was on the floor seven which actually wasn't that bad but I got there before she got there <laughs> and she was like oh young kids these days are so <laughs> agile <laughs> but yeah so I, I basically I got here and then I've just been here ever since and I'm not allowed to leave the room the government calls me at semi-random times of the day yeah it's not yeah it, it does feel a little bit random I don't I haven't been keeping track of if it's regular or not and um maybe once or twice a day and they also text me every morning at 10 a.m and it's always the same automated text and I always respond that I'm feeling fine but they did open up a uh, a line like the line the chatting app they opened up a line messenger um chat with me and so sometimes they'll message me on there as well and which is like really adorable because then you can use the line stickers <laughs> as well as the hotel the hotel has also been uh, conversing with me via line and so I have to report to the hotel every morning and every evening my temperature and they haven't been I know in some other places or countries they might require you to take a picture of your your thermometer but uh, they haven't required me to take a picture. I just basically report my temperature. But yeah, they always they always send me papers and it's the cutest thing. So you are allowed to pick the hotel, but also if you have a place where you can go, so you can basically also do a home quarantine. And so you can go to a place that is maybe a family member's house or, or maybe, I don't know if Airbnb's work. I don't, I don't really know because I haven't done that. But it basically has to have a separate room and bathroom. So basically in a place where you can effectively be quarantined, even if it's not a hotel. And they kind of just like trust you to stay in that situation. But for me, it was just like, I didn't really want to bother my family with that. And I also don't know if they have that available. So uh, hotels seem to make sense. But you can you can pick the hotel basically off their website. And so, um, and also the they weren't sure if the hotel was going to be subsidized for for September until a few days after I, I got here they messaged me and said oh yeah actually the government subsidy is in now so I think it's like 30 percent that the government is covering at this point what happened when you got on and off the plane did you have to register did you get to see see your families through a window first the Taiwanese government website has a link where you can fill out a quarantine entry like declaration where you basically say like, you know, who you are, what your passport number is, uh, your ID number, personal, like your Taiwanese personal ID number, and uh, where you are doing your quarantine and what your phone number is. And so I actually... So basically, once I got off the plane, there was this kind of big area where, like kind of a wide hallway, where there were different little booths for people to buy SIM cards if they needed it, as well as 
if you had not filled out this form ahead of time, I think you could also fill out the form there. But my aunt had bought me a SIM card and mailed it to me. So I already had a SIM card. And I believe it had to be a Taiwanese SIM card because I did have Google Fi and I thought I could use it, but it, it, I ended up just having to get that Taiwanese SIM card. But yeah, so since I already had filled out the form, it has to be within 48 hours before landing. They texted me, and then in the text, there was a link with the confirmation for that quarantine thing. Oh, yeah, and also in the form, you have to say, you have to confirm that you have not been in a place where you could have gotten COVID, basically. And I think for people who are not Taiwanese citizen, I believe that you have to be there. You have to have like a special visa in this case, which you normally don't have to do, but you have to do something. And then you have to have um, a negative COVID test from within three days prior to leaving, I think, which is super crazy because the like I have a friend who is like, I went and got a COVID test last week and I still haven't gotten it back. So I don't know how you can possibly plan to have your COVID test back three days before going. But anyway, that's a whole separate situation so they texted me uh, a confirmation for my quarantine entry form and so I clicked on that link and then when I went to that place with all the sim cards and people filling up forms and stuff they were just like oh is your phone filled out and I was like yeah mine mine's all ready and those they basically just like pushed me through and I didn't have to wait for any of the the other stuff that was going on so that process was super fast and I got through that and then customs was super fast and then I got into a taxi line where um, I had to show that quarantine form again. And then they sprayed me down with disinfectant as well. And then uh, I filled out a different form saying where I was going. And then, um, and then they took me to where I was going. And that was it. That's incredible. Just the organization around it. It probably took <laughs> not that much longer than it took me to explain it just now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was it was pretty seamless for sure. What are you most looking forward to doing when you're when you get out of quarantine? Gosh, I don't even know at this point. I feel like I've been in quarantine for so long that this is just like my life. I like forgot what it was to not be in quarantine. Um, I think I would really and I don't know at this point how much people are like going out to restaurants and stuff. Like I know that Taiwan is pretty safe right now, but I think you know, people still kind of take precautions, you know. I I did not see too many masks when I was driving uh, in the taxi here, but like I have a big window in my hotel room and I look outside and I do see people still wearing masks outside and stuff like that. But I would really, really love to go to a place and get shabu shabu or like hot pot, <laughs> Chinese hot pot, I guess. I just got shabu yesterday here in Boston. Oh, <laughs> oh so good. Wait, really? So you were able to just go? Yeah. So they're, they basically turned it from, it's like a, the buffet version of Shabu. And so they're seating people every other table and they have someone at the buffet line to serve you items instead of you just getting it. It was actually That's surprisingly amazing. amazing. <laughs> also, if it's Shabu, then everything is going into that boiling pot. So Yeah. And it was like a personalized pot. It's so. all getting sterilized. <laughs> Yeah, the other thing that I really want to be able to do is go to live dance classes. You're like, have rollerblade, dancing, piano. You're very artsy in many ways. 
yeah I don't know I just like something about not working and invigorated <laughs> my creativity I guess <laughs> oh my gosh I can totally yeah. I totally feel you on that I feel like I don't know it's just like when you're working and you're like at work for like eight to 10 hours a day and then come home you just like don't have that much energy to like invest in other things and so I kind of hadn't been dancing for quite a while um so it was I felt like I I was rediscovering myself in a way (laughs) but yeah I had been taking a a zoom class basically it was like a k-pop dance class at city dance in, in SF uh which was super fun but but yeah, you it, it is still difficult because like there's a little bit of a lag in the music. So like when you're when you're doing the thing where everybody's like group dancing, you have to account for the fact like the teacher is like one beat ahead of you because the music is playing slightly differently. Yeah, it's it has its drawbacks for sure. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Welcome. Do you have anything else you want to share with the audience about anything related to Taiwan or yourself or careers or anything else? No, but I, I definitely like, I'm very much looking forward to being in Taiwan and seeing my family and living here for a little while and kind of improving my Chinese and all that kind of stuff. I think that I feel kind of just a, a little bit torn about my identity with all of it and who I am and what I want and I'm just kind of looking forward to discovering, rediscovering different things about myself, being in an environment that I wasn't, that I haven't been in in quite a while. So um, that's not really advice. I don't don't know. My advice is that if you want to go to Taiwan, it's it's pretty nice. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. I hope that I didn't ramble too much. No, this is amazing. (laughs) I'd love to chat again sometime. I know, me too. Thank you for letting me take so much time of yours. (laughs) Thank you for thinking that I have something interesting to say, I guess. Everybody has a story. (laughs) And I think if we put the stories out, then we can all be more connected. Okay, okay. Okay, have a good night. Okay. Thanks for talking. I'll talk to you soon. I mean, good morning, whatever (laughs) time. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. And that's it for today. Please send me a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A or shoot me an email. It's hello at TaiwaneseDiaspora.com. And if you or other people you know have stories that they'd like to share on this podcast, please send them my way as well. Some of you have asked about how to support the show. So if you are inclined, go to Coffee ko-fi.com slash t-w-d-i-a-s-p-o-r-a to donate. All right. See you next time.